shaping your future, biblically speaking, and using Jeremiah to do it. That's the subject of our time today here on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Join us, won't you? I'm Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hi there, and welcome to the program. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, returns us to the book of Jeremiah. We're in chapter 18 as our series, Shaping the Future, continues. We would invite you to join us today as we take a look at the future from God's perspective, from Jeremiah's perspective, what it all means and how you and I can be prepared as believers in Christ for that future. It's all part of being shaped. Here now is our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse, with a look at the shaping of our future from Jeremiah 18 on this edition of Graceful Truth. Join us. We're in Jeremiah chapter 18. We're talking about shaping the future. And last week, just to remind you, we looked at uh, the first couple of verses here and we saw, first of all, that God is in control. He is the potter at the wheel. And that the potter here symbolizes God. So he's, he's making a simple point that the potter is, is actively working on this clay. It's another way basically of saying that God is in control. Uh, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it doesn't appear that way. I know when we were in Honduras and you're seeing people burning things in the streets and yelling and screaming and, and uh, the missionaries seem overly concerned. You know, it doesn't seem like God is in control of that situation, but he was. And so there is a potter. He's sitting at the wheel of your life. He's shaping you. He's molding you, the Bible tells us. And he's making you into the person that he desires you to be. The second point we looked at last week was the potter can transform a mistake into a masterpiece. Because the potter's at his wheel. Uh, does that mean that you're never going to have any problems? Because the potter's in control. God's in control. So as a Christian, I'm just, you know, smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. No. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us just the opposite. At times, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. Uh, there will be times when the clay of your life gets marred. It gets, it gets pushed in a way that doesn't feel comfortable. Um, there will be times when things turn out not only different from the way you want them to turn out, but different even from the way God wants them to turn out. See, we can't stop and say, well, God is sovereign over everything, so therefore we become a fatalist and say, well, we, we don't have any choice about anything. The Bible doesn't teach that. God doesn't design everything that happens. Now, it happens under his sovereign hand, but the good thing is, is that if, he, if, you, if you allow him to work in your life, he can, re, he can redesign anything that does happen. And that's why Jesus told us, we talked about this last week, that when he, he prayed, he says, pray that God's will will be done where? On earth, right? As it is in heaven. Why would you pray that if that's not, if that's not true? God's will isn't being done here on earth. And so it says that he, in verse 4, he crushed it into the lump of clay again and he started over. The ESV says he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. Uh, the potter can transform anything. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what your past is like. He can make any mistake into a masterpiece. And then the third thing we looked at last week was God will shape your future if you're willing to be the clay. See, some of us don't want to be the clay. 
We don't want somebody else's hands pushing us and prodding us and making us do maybe things that we don't want to do. We become cold. We become old. We become brittle. Uh, we become less pliable. We, we don't want to be moldable or changeable. And yet that's exactly what God wants us to be. I don't think we want to be a lump of clay just sitting on a wheel where there's nobody working on us. Besides just getting really, really dizzy, just spinning around aimlessly, you know, it'd be kind of boring after a while. It's exciting to know that God is at work, that he will turn and work. And and if we're willing just to be the clay and sit there on the wheel and let him work, and that's what what he says there in verses 5 and 6. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done? And so when we stop and we think of those points, that should encourage us, whether we're talking about missions, whether we're talking about the future of our church, whether we're talking about the future of this year, 2018, what God has for us. The key is playing until it's over, persevering to the end. It's not going to be an easy ride necessarily, but we're called to persevere. We're we're called to play until the end comes. If you like sports... There's nothing better than a good comeback when you have a team that just is losing. And late in the game, somehow this team pulls it together and they, they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. We saw a game like that yesterday. If you watch football, what an amazing game it was, a playoff game of the Titans and the Falcons. And so when you stop and you think about it, you know that's an encouraging thing. There, there is one playoff game that I remember when the Bills came from 35 points behind to beat the Oilers in overtime, and they went to the Super Bowl. A few years later, that same Oilers franchise was called the Tennessee Titans. They performed an incredible uh, miracle to beat the Bills in the final seconds of a playoff game. Or you think of John Elway's drive in 1987 when he was with the Broncos, he took them 98 yards in the final seconds to win that AFC championship game. You can go on YouTube and find that. It's, it's an incredible comeback. But the one thing, if you think about football, if you think about the sport of football, a comeback not only involves a battle against the opponent, right? You have the opposing team. But what else are you also battling against? The clock, right? You're battling against the clock, and, and when you stop and you, you think about that, there's a lot of uh, comeback efforts that are stopped short when the clock runs out. And I think that when we, when we, when we think of that, you know, that, that illustration, and you think of the illustration of baseball because it has an advantage, right, in that department. Because if you know anything about the, the game of baseball, there's no clock, right? There's no clock involved. No game is out of reach, it's never too late to win the game. You can't run out the clock in baseball. I was reading of some examples, and one was back in August of 2001. The Cleveland Indians were losing to the Seattle Mariners 14-2. to 14-2 in a baseball game. Coming back from a 12-run deficit. That's unheard of in baseball. But you know what? They did it that day. They came back. They even scored five runs with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning to do it. See, and that's where football and baseball, if you stop and think about it, are different. At some point, 
In each football game, there comes a time in the play where the leading team, if they have a big enough lead, they can just, what, take a knee. They just run out the clock. Or even if they don't have a, a big enough uh, lead like the other day, you know, they can still take a knee if, if, if the clock is in their favor and run it out. In baseball, you can't coast out to a win. You can't just pull back and relax. Because in baseball, no lead is ever safe. No loss is ever certain. And if you think of life, life is like baseball. It really is. When you stop and you you think of, you know, shaping our future, what God wants us to do for 2018, there's a couple principles I want you to to dwell on. And we'll look at them here in in these verses. And this would be be quick. But it, it shows you the importance of playing till the end. The first principle is simply this. It's never too late. To turn things around. That's what he says there in verses 7 and 8, right? If at any time, any time, I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, what will God do? I will relent of the disaster that I intended due to it. You know, you hear a lot of people today with alarming messages about our wonderful country about America. Uh, it's over. It's no, nothing. It's never going to turn around. You know what? But it's not over till it's over. God could bring a, a, an incredible revival back to this nation. I don't frankly see that happening, but I don't know what God's plan is. It's never too late to turn things around. And sometimes I think people live their lives in such a way that it's too late. Maybe they feel too old or maybe they just feel, wow, they've done too much stuff. It's just, there's too many consequences coming at me from two different sides. I'm just going to give up. Don't ever give up because when you look throughout scripture, you constantly see God taking those who are down, right? Those who are in the the, the pit, the mire, the clay and pulling them out and, and making them into something that he would desire. Just think of the apostle Paul, Saul. He's out there killing Christians. I mean, he would not be on my number one list for somebody who's going to experience revival. He can turn their heart around. He can turn their life around. You remember Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were a good example. What did God do? God sent Jonah to preach to them. And he said, I don't want to go. This is ridiculous. Right? And he finally got there and he told them, you've got 40 days before God's judgment comes to this city. And what happened? The people of Nineveh repented. And what did God do? He relented. There was no judgment. See, that works for nations. It works for cities. It works for individuals as well. And sometimes we, we fail to re- remind ourselves of that. It's never too late for God to turn things around. Even though it, it may be very discouraging, you may be sensing consequences that just seem overwhelming. It's never too late. And don't ever forget, your, your future's not written in stone. It's written in what? It's written in clay. It's written in clay. And there's still time to, to change direction in your life. It's never too late. Second thing here I want to share with you quickly is it's never too late to mess things up. <laughs> We all know that, right, from experience. And look at what he says in verse 9. He says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do to it. I mean, how's that for good news? It's a sobering thought to think that, you know what? 
you're never safe in the Christian life. You never reach some plateau where sin doesn't touch you anymore. You never get to a point in time where, boy, you're just a conqueror of all things. That's just not true. Every great comeback story and every sporting competition has something in common. On the flip side, what? Of the comeback, (laughs) you have the team that, what? Blew the lead, like we saw the other day. Sometimes a big lead. I remember remember this because I think it was a 2008 Super Bowl. It was the New England Patriots with the New York Giants. And the Patriots came. Remember, they had that perfect season. They didn't lose one game. And they were expected to win by at least two touchdowns. And back then, Eli Manning was kind of looked at as an underachiever, to be honest with you. But he pulled off this great comeback that day. And he put together a game-winning drive. And the Giants ended up winning that game. The Patriots came within 30 seconds of a perfect season. Perfect season. And they let it slip right through their fingers. I wouldn't have wanted to be part of that team in the off season. (laughs) But Jeremiah 18 is here to remind us that we'll never, ever reach a place in our Christian life where we have arrived until we are in his presence, until we possess our glorified body. We're never going to reach the place where you can just kind of coast in our Christian lives. And I bring that up because it's important because I think today in our churches, we have a lot of Christians that think that they can just coast. I've been there, heard that, done that. I don't need to go to Bible study. I don't need to do this. I got it. I come to church once a week. That's all I need. No, it's not. There's a world out there that is, that is set against you at every turn. And there's an enemy that we face every day. And that's exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to buy into that motto of just, you know, just coast. You got more important things to do than get together with a bunch of Christians and have a Bible study or have a prayer meeting. Somebody says they call that the titanic fallacy, thinking that they're too big to fail. They've been a Christian too long to fail. The Titanic, you remember, was touted as being unsinkable. As a matter of fact, in the movie, it, it, it has a line in the movie, and it was actually quoting a, a white star line who, who was the company that built the Titanic, um, one of their one of their executives, and they said when it was christened that God himself could not sink this ship because they were so proud of what they built. And it turns out God didn't sink the ship. An iceberg did, right? I mean, but the great mistake was just irresponsible. It was reckless to have that kind of a attitude. Um, and, and we've seen that play out over and over and over again. I mean, if I would have asked you back in the day, do you think Enron will go under? Most people would say no. Or the Lehman Brothers? Or Borders Bookstores? I mean, think about it. You can go through even, you know, dot-com companies that one time we just used, Netscape and all these things. They're not, they're not even around anymore. And so, you know, it's, it's sad, but you also see that happening to ministries. You see that happening even to churches. I'm going to read this and we'll share one last point, but there's a story about a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were frequent. You've probably heard this, but it's a good reminder for us. A group of concerned citizens decided to build a a rescue station. So they put up a little hut and uh, with one boat, the group kept watch over the sea. And as ships would crash, 
they would risk their lives and they rescued many of these people who crashed their boats into the, the rocks in front of the little hut. Well, after a while, the station became famous. More and more people wanted to be part of this mission, helping these, these lost sailors and, and things like that. And money came in to buy new boats and replace the emergency cots with new modern hospital beds. They even tore down the little cheap hut that they had built originally and built a multi-purpose facility. And the station soon became a popular gathering place for its members. And as more and more people attended the social events, fewer and fewer people had any interest in going out to sea. One day, a large ship wrecked off the coast. Boatloads of cold, wet, dirty, frightened people were brought in to the rescue facility. Some were sick, some were unsavory, some were desperate. And many of the the members of the club were upset. They said, if we allow our facilities to be overrun by these kind of people, they're going to run it down. They're going to get it dirty. And you know what? We're going to be left here to have to clean it up. We're going to be expected to pay for all the repairs. Let's make a new rule. No more shipwreck victims in our club. There were some who protested. Wait a minute. We were first and foremost a life-saving station. We can't close our doors to those who are most in need. The team leader said, well, if you're not happy with the way we do things here, go start your own rescue station down the street. And so they did. See, unfortunately, that scenario has played itself out in churches and in ministries all over the world. Sometimes they lose their compass. They drift out of existence. Sometimes they drift in, 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 in places and in, in, in ways that they shouldn't go. Sometimes they fail. Sometimes they fizzle. But all too often it happens when ministries begin to think that they have arrived. They ultimately squander their future. I don't want us ever to be a church that thinks somehow that we've arrived in any way, in any ministry. That, by the way, also happens in marriages. It happens in people's spiritual lives. They reach a point where they say, you know what? I'm unsinkable. Nothing can stop me now. I want you to hear the message today. You know what? You are sinkable. It can happen to any one of us. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians ten twelve. therefore let... Lest anyone who thinks he stands take heed, what? Lest he fall. You know, it's easy to judge the man that got caught up in the pornography or the woman that had an affair or or gossiping or whatever. But don't you think for one moment that you're not capable of walking down that same road. We have to be very, very careful about that kind of mentality. And he's reminding us here that it's never too late to mess up. I mean, you may have been a faithful husband, a wonderful father, for 18 years, just takes one glance, just takes one wrong move, one wrong time spending your time with someone who may not be your wife, where, boy, something happens. And all that goodness that you invested is gone, just like that. And don't think it can't happen to you. Don't try to coast in your spiritual life this new year. Take a close look at what you're doing today. Ask yourself, where's this road leading me? Okay, so I just come to church once a week. Is that good? What if I don't come to church at all? Does that even affect me? What if I came to church twice a week? What if I invested in another kind of a Timothy disciple kind of relationship? What would happen then? Well, here's the third point from Jeremiah 18. It's never too late to take responsibility for your life. That's really what it comes down to, right? We're all responsible for our own 
spiritual walk, we're all responsible for our own selves. We have to take ownership. The ownership of where we've been and where we're going, where we're headed. That's why he says in verse 11, return, what? Every one from his evil way. Notice the personal aspect of that verse. It doesn't say, hey, return everybody. No, it says every one. And I will amend your ways and your deeds. He's basically calling the nation of Judah to repent. That's what he's doing. But how is he doing it? Because they've fallen into sin. They've fallen into this adulterous behavior. Their nation is now headed in the wrong direction. It's headed toward destruction, not blessing. And sometimes we have that same attitude. Things aren't the way they ought to be. Someone ought to do something. That someone usually means someone else. It doesn't include me. That's how people use that today. I mean, have you ever heard people talk about even our own country? America needs to do this. America needs to do that. Only if America... Stop and think about how silly that is. You could never get all of America to do anything. You can't decide even what your own kids are going to do, let alone America. They're going to decide what they're going to do. That's why it's important that you nurture them with things of the Lord. Well, how does it happen? It happens individually. Individually, we'll be held accountable for what we do. And that's why God said, return every one from his evil way. The NIV even makes it more clearer. He says, so turn from your evil ways, each one of you. He's not speaking to the group as a whole. He's speaking to each individual. And that's what I want to do to us today. Is, is I want this message to be to us as individuals, not even to us as a corporate church, but as individuals. Are we willing to take responsibility for our lives? In what we do, where we spend our time, what we do in our off time. Instead of thinking, you know what, I'll do right when everyone else does right. We need to be able to stand up and say, you know what, no, I'm going to take responsibility for me. And I'm going to do the right thing come 2018. So Jeremiah isn't just saying that you're clay in the potter's hands. He's also saying that the future is like clay in your hands, if you think about it. You have a big say in the direction your life takes. The Bible talks about sowing and reaping. Just remember, your future is written in clay. It's not written in stone. And just like baseball, no lead is safe, but no loss is certain. You have to play until the end, the final out. It's not too late to win. It's not too late to lose. It's not even too late to get in the game. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's never too late. Today may be the day of salvation for you. So the message of Jeremiah 18 is that you will never get to the point where you do not matter. Every day is important. Every day you can move in a direction of God's blessing. Every day you can take steps to undo certain mistakes that you've already made. Every day you can take greater control of your circumstances. And every day you can see more of the glory of God come alive in your life. It's not too late. Let's play to the end. Father, we thank you for your word Lord, we thank you for these words that Jeremiah is able to speak into our lives and we embrace them as we come to this new year of 2018. Lord, help us to set godly habits in in place. Help us to do things that will honor you with our time, our talents, our treasure. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of this church reaching out to one another and encouraging each other, but also, Lord, as we reach out across the way to missions beyond our own country even. Father, that these principles apply to them as well. And to be able to partner together as the body of Christ 
and have impact in places like India and Thailand and even Honduras, Washington State. Lord, we, we just thank you for the opportunity that you've given us as a church to sow your word in the hearts of people. And Lord, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us throughout the rest of this day. Help us to keep our focus on you. We're excited about what you're going to do in 2018. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. I'd also like to let you know that our Grace Bible Church Women's Ministry 2018 Spring Conference is coming up. The author and guest speaker will be Cynthia Heald, known best for her best-selling Bible study, Becoming a Woman of Excellence. Now, the conference will take place out of 1 John, Chapter 2 and verse 6, Living Like Jesus. It's May 18th through the 19th, Friday the 18th at 7 p.m. through 8.30, and then Saturday the 19th at 9 a.m. through 2.30. It'll take place here at the church, 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Breakfast is included as well as lunch. Total conference cost, just $20, with a love offering taken both Friday and Saturday evening. For more information, visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.